Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Well, blessings to you today. It's a privilege for me to get to share. Uh, today, I have the privilege of sharing with my beautiful wife. Just going to be three points. I'll do two. She'll do the third point. My first point is on Mother's Day, I just want to raise our value for women. I grew up in the church, and somehow, somewhere, I picked up that women were like second-class citizens in the kingdom. I don't know how I got that, but uh, I'm going to address that. And then the second point, I'm going to address one lady in specific. It's, we've got all these ladies throughout the New Testament who partnered in the Holy Spirit and did powerful things for the kingdom. I want to address one named Lydia, and then my wife's going to share. She talks about what does it look like for us to, to partner with the Holy Spirit. So some of you guys might know that we lived on the mission field for seven years, and we came back to the States about a year ago. And I'm more observant now of like cultural things that I was just immersed in before, but now they kind of stand out to me. What I'm saying is we may not realize it, but in some ways we're like Plato, shaped and formed by the culture around us. And the Southern culture, there's so many weird, strange things. Let's just be honest, right? I mean, I was with my father-in-law working last week, and this one sweet young girl, young, like half my age, I don't know how many times she said, bless your heart. I mean... <laughs> You guys say that? Bless your heart. You hear that a lot? What about like these weird things that I remembered? What about like don't wear white after Labor Day? Doesn't make any sense to me. What's that all about? About black, is it black eyed peas on New Year's Day? I mean, where's this come from? What is this stuff? You know, it's like Southern culture. I mean, it sinks into our food even, right? The casserole, sweet tea. If you just say tea is sweet in the South. You know, if you've ever called dinner supper, if you ever called it supper, come on, right? If I were to wear like a bright orange shirt, it'd be like socially acceptable here. <laughs> if I wore it somewhere else, they'd be like, that guy's weird, right? Some of you guys are thinking, well, you know, teams that have same colors. But I'm saying that this is, this is ingrained into our thinking. And in the same way, in the New Testament, there's this cultural like thinking that we miss sometimes. And because of that, we don't always grasp all that we're meant to grasp from the scriptures. To cultural concepts like honor and shame, thinking in a group mentality, but also this concept of like this hierarchy. There's this strata and hierarchy of people, almost like a ranking system of status. And if you, if you read through the scriptures, you see that Jewish culture, which is represented much of the New Testament, had a really low value for women. Women were like second-class citizens at best. And what I want to point out is that Scripture makes it clear that God created male and female in His image, equal in dignity, equal in value, equal in worth. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Last week, my uh, dear friend Ryan shared on Acts 2. Acts 2 is a story of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes, and Peter is proclaiming this message, and he preaches the most powerful sermon ever. And he says the Holy Spirit's come for young, for old for women, for men. It's the same Holy Spirit. In Galatians, Paul says this, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. It's the same Holy Spirit. 
Same Holy Spirit in those little critters back at Midtown Kids. It's the same Holy Spirit, and we get to partner with them. And elevate elevate our view for women, because when you think about it, it was women, they were faithful disciples of Jesus all throughout the New Testament, but they were the ones at the foot of the cross. Remember other disciples had scattered and were hiding, and Peter was watching at a distance later on, and, but he just denied. But it was the women. It's the women who went to the tomb. It's a woman who first, a woman who first preached the resurrection. He is risen. As we go through the scriptures, we see that Jesus really valued women. I, believe, I personally believe his best friends were Mary and Martha and probably Lazarus. Most likely Lazarus had some type of disability and they cared for Lazarus. Otherwise, they would have said Lazarus' is home in Scripture, but they said it was Martha's home. But most likely, these three siblings were Jesus' best friends. As we go through Scriptures, we see things like um, Philip had two daughters who were prophetesses. We see people like in Romans 16, there's a lady named Junius. She's a female apostle. I remember reading that like, whoa, wait a minute. What do I do with that? See, I'd been taught something that was very... Uh, in some ways degrading towards the roles of women in the church. A female apostle in Romans 16. If you have the book of Romans, you know this is like the most complex book theologically that we have in the New Testament. And Paul chose a woman named Phoebe to deliver it. Now, when, when a person delivered a letter in the New Testament, they usually were there scribing it or present while they're hearing it because they would then read it out loud and they would be the one to answer questions about it. Paul had lots of men to choose from. He chose Phoebe. This is a really high honor. She's, she's referred to as a deaconess. We've got ladies in, in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Paul's talking about these two ladies, and I don't know how to say their names. I can guess, but I'll say it wrong. But anyways, they're having some type of dispute and not getting along, and he's talking about how they've contended with them in the gospel. I mean, this is a really strong word, contended. It doesn't mean they're just like behind the scenes serving, which is important. I like being behind the scenes. I like serving. It says contended, which means like they labored with them. To contend means to like strive. It means, to, it means literally to wrestle in the company with. You know, you think about it, like if I said this person is a heavyweight contender, someone who's worked hard, qualified themselves to be worthy to be at the top level. So they contended with Paul in the gospel. And I, I know there are other scriptures that we sometimes we wrestle with. Well, what do we do about this with male roles and women roles? I really believe that context unpacks it all. Context is so important for us as we understand scriptures, we understand the character and nature of God. I've got an example. I've got a slide up here. Just three words. Hypothetically, pretend that you, you read these three words. You have no idea what the context is. It says, don't do that. Like immediately in your mind, you've got, this is probably the scenario. But you don't know like the tone. You don't know the facial expression. You don't know like the relationship between the two people. Because it, be, it could be a lot of different things. It could be like, hey, don't do that. Like, like one more gesture, mean facial expression, and I'm throwing punches, right? It could be that. I've never actually thrown a punch, to be honest, so you're pretty safe. And if I did, you're still pretty safe. But it could be anger, right? But it could also be like, hey, don't do that. Like, like your child's going to get hurt or too close to the oven or where we lived in Costa Rica, like if crazy snakes, like the most dangerous snakes in the world, like trying to grab a snake thinking that it was not the most poisonous in the Western Hemisphere. You know, don't do that, right? 
but it could also be like kind and encouraging. Just recently, I was at a meal in a restaurant with Jay. This happens a lot. And before I could do anything, Jay grabs the check. And I'm like, don't do that. And he looks at me, you know, Jay, handsome, cool young guy. And he's like, I got you, bro. I'm like, no, 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 no. He's like, I got you, bro. I'm like, no, don't do that. This is really so hard for me to receive. You, I mean, you, you're always lavishing me with kindness. I got you. I'm like, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Or, you know, I mean, just being real honest, recently I was trying to fix something in the house and I'm not particularly handy and I'm getting grumpy with myself and I know the issue is me and my incompetencies and I'm beginning to speak negative self-talk over myself and that family member is like, hey, don't do that. So what I'm saying is that don't do that could actually be like loving. It could be kind. It could be gracious or it could be like anger. Context matters. I'm going to look at a verse in 1 Corinthians 14. I've got two verses on this first slide. It says this. It says, women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to speak, if they want to inquire something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Go, can you go back to the four, verse 34? How's this verse make you feel? Women should be silent in the churches. Some of you are thinking, this Adam's a jerk. Why would he pick this verse for Mother's Day, right? Well, I'm going to unpack it. I think that we, we don't grasp what this verse means unless we know the context. And the context is this. Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians, and the style of letter is called point-counterpoint or assertion-response. I think I've got a slide for that. What it means is this, is that Paul has received a letter from the Corinthians. We don't have that letter. We don't know what it says. We can kind of deduce part of what it says based on Paul's letter, but Paul is responding to the letter. If if you read through 1 Corinthians, remember this is a letter, so it'll make the most sense if you read it from beginning to end all at once. If you read it, you're like, man, Paul is always like abruptly changing topics. He's bouncing from one thing to the next. What's happening is Paul is actually responding to things that they said to him in the letter that he received. Are you tracking with me? So they would make an assertion, and he would respond. They would make a point. He'd make a counterpoint. For example, in chapter 7, he says this, now concerning the matters about what you wrote. And over and over again, he just like changes the subject. Now about virgins. Then he says, now about food sacrifice to idols. Now about spiritual gifts. He just keeps jumping from subject to subject. So he's responding to things that they've said to him. And I say that is that this verse where he's like, hey, women should be silent. He's quoting what they said to him. He's not saying he's in agreement. He's quoting them so that he knows, they know this is what he's responding to. What does he say afterward? He said, does the word of God originate with you? See, there's multiple Greek lexicons. Really, what he's saying is like, are you being serious? King James Version, I don't think I have it in there, is, is known for translating Greek like the word for word. It's not the best at like capturing like the sentence and the full expression of a paragraph, but word for word, the King James Version, it says, um, instead of saying, Does it, did the word of God originate with you? It says, what? With a question mark. If you have a King James Version, you should look it up. It means, it's like Paul is saying, seriously? It's the exact same thing. He's like, What? Seriously? 
did the word of God originate with you? See, Paul's already talked about women prophesying in chapter 11 and also in chapter 14. He says they need to have their heads covered, which was a cultural thing that doesn't apply to us. Well, how can they prophesy if they're not allowed to speak in church? Do you, do you see how important it is that we grasp the context so we can appropriately understand what the scriptures are saying? And I say that again because Christianity places such a high value for women. One woman in particular I want to talk about is this lady named Lydia. She's sticking in our theme with Acts 16. I'm just going to talk a little bit about Lydia, and then, then my wife will come up. Um, now, remember, before I talk about her, it's always good to say, well, what's the context, right? So the context is this. Acts 15, the leaders of the church gather because they're having a problem. They don't know what to do about it. They're having these, like, these Gentiles having miraculous signs and wonders, and they're coming to the faith. Like, what do we do? So they gather, and they come with, here's a clear resolution. Here's what we're going to do. It's called the Council of Jerusalem. And then what happens, Paul and Barnabas, like the two leaders, part ways. They get into a big argument. So there's a guy named John Mark who was with Paul. John Mark abandons Paul. He comes back. He's like, okay, sorry, I'm ready to go with you again. And Paul's like, no way. And Barnabas is like, yes way. And Paul and Barnabas butt heads. And they part ways. And I say this because this is the context leading up to Lydia. But for me, it's encouraging because... Wait a minute, Paul gets grumpy and disagrees with people? I get grumpy and disagree with people. He, he's more like me than we think. And, and after the Lydia part, which I'm just going to share briefly on Lydia, Paul has this situation where the lady, a girl's falling around, who's filled with a demon. Literally, in Acts 16, it says, Paul became so annoyed, he cast out the demon. I'm like, hey, I become so annoyed. And I say that to say, sometimes we think, well, I don't have access to the Holy Spirit. I get a little grumpy. Or I'm still kind of struggling with A, B, and C. Let's, let's not undervalue personal holiness, but let's conform to the image of Christ and renew our minds, have a high value for holiness in the Holy Spirit. But let's know that right here and right now, we can partner and participate with the Holy Spirit. We can start right here, right where we are, wherever we are. If you're professing Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. He's with you and for you. So here's the situation. It's Acts 16. Paul has this dream. Starts in verse 10. It says this, After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul has this vision. First off, this is a little bit strange, but the Holy Spirit actually denies Paul from going to share the gospel repeatedly right before this section, which is really weird, Right? Why would the Holy Spirit stop Paul from going, telling people about Jesus? I'm not going to unpack that, but process that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has different plans for us. He's working when we don't even realize it. So Paul has this vision, and he's told to go to Macedonia. It says, concluding that it was, uh, can you go back one slide? I'm sorry, guys. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This word concluding means to put two things side by side. He put the vision that he had about going to Macedonia side by side with what he knew about the character or nature of God and the call that God had placed on his life, concluding that it was the will of God. So when we sense God speaking, it's good to know his word so we know his character and his nature. And we can conclude, yes, this represents him. This is him. Acts 16, verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day, we went to Neapolis. 
From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. We were expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatra named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So here's what we have. We've got Lydia is basically with, with a small group of all ladies um, on the side of the river. See, so it was Jewish law that you had to have at least is it 10, 10 male Jewish heads of household to have a synagogue. And if that didn't exist, then the faithful God worshipers would actually gather under the open sky, normally by the sea or by the river. So Paul decides he's going to go down the river and he's going to walk until he finds someone. Um, he's anticipating finding a group of mixed group, well, a group of men, and he finds a group of women led by Lydia. It's interesting that Paul, Paul had a vision, right? In his vision, a man told him to go to Macedonia. He actually came across a woman, and you wonder, was that because he, had, he was a Pharisee and still had some sexism built into his mindset? I don't know, but it gives me a little bit of permission. When I think the Lord's speaking to me, if I get it a little bit off, oh, that's okay. So keep trying, right? Paul is a little bit off by a gender. So, so Paul's walking down there. He finds Lydia. Now, what's really interesting is sometimes what scriptures do say and what they don't say. For example, last week Ryan shared about Acts 2. Holy Spirit came. 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord. Isn't that incredible? 3,000. Here in Acts 16, one person, one woman, her name is Lydia. Listen, I think sometimes we have the wrong metrics in the church of success. This is just one woman. And I tell you what, this one woman, her her yieldedness to the Holy Spirit, her response to the Holy Spirit tugging in her heart changed everything. What do I mean? She was the first believer in all of Europe. Listen, it's easy to join the bandwagon, right? You got two teams left in the playoffs to pick one that's your team. <laughs> it's easy to do that. It's easy to join someone that's alive and vibrant, lots of people, the first in all of Europe, and we celebrate her because you know why? Christianity came to us from Europe. We can trace our spiritual heritage back from the U.S. to Europe, and it started with Lydia. Just her obedience to the Holy Spirit speaking in her heart, inviting her into relationship with Jesus. And what did she do? Well, she began to host the church in her home. She used what she had. She was a dealer of purple cloth, which meant that she had relationships, she had status, she had clout, she had clients. She used what she had for the kingdom. Her home became a center for the spread of the gospel. She gave what she had away. She used her status. And if, you, if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, it's obvious that we're not necessarily supposed to have favorites, but the church in Philippi, this church that she was the first of, was clearly Paul's favorite. A lot of times when you read Paul's letters, like 1 Corinthians, you can tell Paul's, he's grumpy, he's mad. 
Like, are you, he's writing this, are you serious? And in Philippians, he's like, it's a pure joy to write you. I have you in my heart. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I carry you in my heart. He has such a love and affection for this church in Philippi. And Lydia had no idea, no idea what her, yes, to the Holy Spirit would do for the kingdom. And I say that to say is that our yes to the Holy Spirit makes a difference. We get to partner with the Holy Spirit. I get to partner. You get to partner. We all get to partner. He's the comforter. He's the advocate. It means he's for us. He's the helper. Regardless, male, female, young, old, I want to encourage you not to despise small beginnings. But also, remember that we can't always assess success by numbers and size. Again, this was just Lydia, just one woman giving her life to the Lord, being obedient. And Christianity was birthed in an entire continent, which we can trace our spiritual heritage back. So I just want to say this, is that the Lord can do so much with a little, a little mustard seed, a little yeast, a little faith, a small act of obedience. You know, one thing that we say in our household is just, just do what you can with what you've got, right? Be faithful with what you have. I know my gift set, there's certain things I can do, and then certain things I can't do. Be faithful what you have. But the truth is that we have a lot because we have the Holy Spirit. And he's with us and he's for us. Just wanted to share um, what the Holy Spirit started to speak to me. Because a few weeks ago, the same night that Adam asked me, I had the very fun honor of serving in Midtown Kids. And let me just tell you, nothing that happens in Midtown Kids is second rate. It's not. It's amazing. And Jesse Hall taught that night, and she brought the word. She taught with power, passion, and a spirit of excellence. It was so engagingly beautiful. And I was incredibly blessed to sit under her teaching. So if you think about it, look for her later <laughs> and thank her for her, just her integrity and her willingness to prepare so intentionally. It was really beautiful. And that night, we spent some time with our four- and five-year-olds, and we were working on our scripture memory from Acts 1-8, and we marched around the room, um, and we held our fists high, and we chanted around the tables, Holy Spirit gives me power. Holy Spirit gives me power. And um, it made me want to put on a cape. I mean, it was crazy in there, and I felt like a superhero. It was roaring and rowdy, and for me, it was surprisingly wildly awakening. I honestly think it would do us all a lot of good to spend more time with our sweet small friends because we just can forget things in our spirit. Um, but what a truth to be implanted. The Holy Spirit gives us power. What a truth to be implanted in their stories. And it was such um, a sweet rewatering in my own story that night. And so I remember I was kind of drifting off and I was talking you know, like how you kind of dialogue with God a little bit, like, ah, you know, and so I was processing that that evening and Adam asking me to share. And so I started just to kind of unpack things. And I found myself being invited to really think about Acts 1-8. Like, what does that even look like in my life? Like, do you ever find like, we have these Christian speaks and we, we say them and we believe them, but we don't really know what we how to process them a little bit. And I felt like um, if one of my four or five-year-olds from that class had said, hey, Miss Kelly, how, what does that look like in your life? What does Holy Spirit look like in your life? What would I say? 
And so I'm just curious, and I wonder, what would you say about your life and your day-to-day life, your moment-by-moment? What does his power look like? And the Holy Spirit just began to to show me very gently, like, oh, uh, you kind of have a box that you put me in. And um, I had this box, and it was based on a foundation of certain beliefs and experiences that I had regarding his power. And it was a really good box. It was just incomplete. And how many of you know that boxes create a framework for what we expect and often what we're going to experience? And I realized that night I was really falling short, falling short in my awareness and recognition of his power in my life and of his constant nearness and help. Um, my ability to see had been really narrowed, and my view of his power had been limited to my ideas and my understandings. You see, for me, his power mainly looked like like the lightning strike experiences. Do you ever feel that way? Like it's the big stuff, you know, salvation and resurrections and supernatural occurrences and miracles, and that's all really amazing, but there is more. And he began to speak truth into my box. And he said, Kelly, my same power that divided the Red Sea is the same power that helps you daily divide truths from a lie. The same power that resurrects the dead also empowers you to help resurrect hope in the hearts of those who feel like they're emotionally dying. And the same power used to wash away leprosy is used through you to help wash away depression disillusionment and despair. And it really challenged my thinking. And it really revealed areas where I wasn't even giving Holy Spirit any credit or power in my life. Like I wasn't acknowledging it because I just felt like my life seemed kind of small. Like I was just doing my daily life. I was just me being me. And so those little things seemed really little. And I think the story of Lydia is such a beautiful example of what the Holy Spirit was trying to show me, what Adam was sharing tonight. Here is this woman empowered with a heart for extreme generosity. She was highly skilled in her trade, which led to her ability to be generous and to be hospitable. She was empowered. And sometimes we can overlook that because it's not the lightning strikes. He's in the big And he is in what we consider small. She was used ultimately to spread the gospel far and wide. And she was a woman of purple fabrics. Another example that kicked my box wide open um, is Bezalel. Do you guys know that story of Bezalel? If you don't, you should look at it. It's way back in Exodus 31. He is the first person specifically mentioned in the Bible of being filled with the Spirit. I mean, that's cool. Like, I mean, I want to be that person, like the first person filled with the Spirit. I mean, that just sounds awesome. He played a crucial role in the development of Israel's religious life, but he was not a person of pastoral influence at all. There was no lightning. There was nothing seemingly supernatural about him. He was a craftsman. Isn't that cool? I mean, God is just so neat. He's so neat. And he was equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to create beautiful things, just like Lydia, and just like you, and just like me. And each week I see the Holy Spirit empowering all of you in ways that you probably never, ever think about as I sit and I listen to you share your stories and your testimonies, and you choose courage to be you here. Um, I see you 
persevering in the fight for hope. God, just the Holy Spirit empowering you to do that. I, I see him empowering you with discipline to show up week after week to pursue connection with Jesus and with each other. And I see him empowering you to fight against addiction and strongholds. And that gives me courage. That's a beautiful thing. And each week I see Papa Butch with his mighty crew of men being empowered with the spirit of excellence to set up the chairs and take them back down again. And um, I see the Holy Spirit empowering Michaelana with the spirit of creativity as she creates heart-stirring content. I see the Holy Spirit empowering a band of brothers who stand out in front of the church and open the doors and welcome us in every week. Empowering Cole, or also affectionately known as Curtis, with his big smile and even bigger bear hug as he makes us feel seen and loved. Moment by moment, Holy Spirit is empowering in the wildly big and also in the easily unnoticeable. He empowers us in ways that can slide under the radar, like holding crying babies so that parents can go to worship, being interruptible, caring for aging parents, running the soundboard with amazing skill, opening up your home week after week to have life group, showing hospitality. He is so alive in these moments, and we often miss him because we have a box. And lately when fear, um, you know, since that time with the fours and fives, when fear starts calling my number and I'm facing some really challenging obstacles, I remember that sweet time with my little friends and I begin to declare like I have a cape on, Holy Spirit gives me power for this. Because the enemy likes to get in your headspace, and sometimes we're like, here's a key to this door. You know, instead of being like, oh, yeah, I feel a little unsettled, but the Holy Spirit is actually giving me power right now. He's my helper. He's my friend. He's my guide. I can trust him. And that's a cool thing. It's a really sweet thing. And I just wonder, what does his empowerment look like in your life? In the discovery of how he uniquely works in you will surely result and celebration, and greater intimacy between the two of you, because you're like, oh, you've been here all along. You're right here. Like, the more we choose to see, the more we see. And so many times, I was looking for something else that was in my box, and he's like, I'm in there, but I'm also right here, and right here, and right here, and right here. And maybe you're sitting here tonight, and you realize you have a box, too. And maybe it looks the same, and maybe it looks different. Um, But remember, Lydia and Bezalel, they were just being themselves every day. They were just doing their get-tos. They were just doing their life. And I'm sure that they never thought that we would be sitting here this many years later talking about them. Isn't that cool? I wonder what kind of stories are going to be told about you guys. I think they're going to be great. What feels like it's practical should be celebrated just as much as what feels supernatural. As Adam said, don't despise small beginnings. He stole my verse too, James 1.17. (laughs) Every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes from him. So some of you might be thinking, well, you're kind of over-spiritualizing everything. I'm like, I just want to err on the side of giving him glory. Like, I just want to look for him in everything. Like, I'm never going to overthink him. Holy Spirit gives us power. 
He gives us power. He gives you power. He gives me power. It's not, from, it's not for everybody else, just for them. It's for all of us. So while the band plays, thank you guys, um, I just want to invite you to process just for a moment to choose to see, to look for his power in your own story. Just take a few minutes and let the Holy Spirit raise our awareness and whisper into our hearts the ways that maybe have gone unnoticed. Let it be a time of worship. Let him open wide our boxes. Just spend a few moments and just begin to thank him. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Bring, re- bring your revelation, Holy Spirit. Thank you for all the big and small ways that you're empowering. Just as we've been talking about, so that we can be better witnesses to the world. Would it just be an overflow? You're so near. You're so near. Holy Spirit, we honor you. We ask you to come into this space. Thank you that we're not alone. That's a lie I can believe a lot. It's like, oh, I just feel so alone in this battle. You're a good friend. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear? faith to believe, and a heart that understands. We bless you.